morning we're going to look at Psalm 38. And I've been told, you know, that you, you really don't want to teach on the penitential Psalms, but I just had to do this one. Um, so we're going to look at that, um, and, and um, I'll, I'll kind of explain why once we start getting into it. But this is one of the uh, penitential Psalms because of the confession of sin that it lists in verses 3 to 5 and verse 18. There's there's um, eight penitential psalms in, in the book of Psalms. Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. So uh, David is identified as the author again in this one, but it doesn't uh, actually name his sin in this psalm. But we're going to look at it anyway. So let's read Psalm 38. It says, A Psalm of David for the Memorial Offering. Um, again, as we said a couple of weeks ago when we looked at a psalm that, um, you know, that um, these are the, from the songbook of, of the, the Hebrews, right? And, and so just think of a, a confession, pentatential psalms, as being a song as well. Next time you're confessing your sins to God, maybe sing them. You know, that's what was going on here. So verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day long I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boasts against me when my foot slips. For I'm ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And are many and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. <clears throat> so as I said, David is the author here and he he's confessing his sin, but he doesn't actually tell us what his sin is, right? But we, and I, I was just so convicted of this. Of um, have I ever confessed my sin anywhere near close to this? And um, I can say, not, you know, I haven't. It maybe is, it would be a good thing in the future to 
go here and insert my own sin in there. But instead of David actually naming his sin, what we see is that he asked God to help him. He asked him to help him because of this terrible sickness, loneliness, and isolation that he's experiencing because of his sin. So he's, you know, three things are going on, right? That he's sick, he's lonely, and he's isolated because he tells us of his sin. And specifically in verse 5, he says that God sent the sickness because of his foolishness. He was being foolish. We don't, again, know what that was. And this psalm is, is what it is, is. It's a confession, as I said, but it's also simply a prayer, which is what we need to do when we confess our sins to God, right? We're praying to God. So prayer then, what? is that what is prayer the simplest definition you could ever give you're talking to one of your if you've got little kids one of your littlest ones says mommy what daddy what is prayer what do you think what do you say talking to god God. that's it you know and some people just want to uh complicate that for some reason you know I, i i remember i had a guy for those of you that don't know i used to run a residential uh, program for uh, men that struggle with addictions and and um, <clears throat> I had a guy come to me one day and ask me what is prayer and I, that's what I said talking to God right what do you mean I said well you and I are doing it right now it's the same thing right just open your mouth say some words verbalize those to God just talking to God it's not that we got to be you know, this eloquent, use big, you know, $100 words and whatnot. Just simply talk to God. Now, <clears throat> what do we talk to God about when we pray? Everything. Everything. There you go. Yeah, right? Everything, which includes, and here's where I think a lot of people miss things on prayer, which includes what God is talking to us about, right? I mean, think about that for a minute now. So, if you and I are having a conversation about one of the things that I like to do a lot, like say Ronnie and I are having a conversation about our trip to South Georgia last month, six weeks or so ago. Yeah, yeah, and and we're talking about that giant fish that I caught, you know, and and all of a sudden in mid sentence, Ronnie starts talking about deer hunting. Well, that's kind of rude. I mean, I'm talking to you about that big old grouper that I caught. Not really. I didn't catch a big old grouper. We weren't grouper fishing. Big redfish that I caught, you know. Um, Wouldn't it be rude? Well, that's what we do to God so often, is it not? You know, we're we're praying to God, and then or perhaps we're reading our Bible. God speaks to us through his word, right? And we're reading our Bible, and then in the midst of that, we're done. We close it. God just spoke to us, and we start talking to him about all our stuff. You know, nothing wrong with talking to him about all our stuff, as Troy said. We talk to him about everything. But let's first not break conversation about what God was talking to us about. Does that make sense? And I think that's what we see David doing here, is he's speaking to God about the things of God that that he knows about God because God has showing those to him. So this is a prayer. And uh, one commentator said Psalm 38 is a prayer evoked, listen to this, by the experience of sickness and consequent sense of alienation from both God and fellow human beings. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to be a, a pattern in human nature, if that's the right way to say it, maybe sinful nature is a better way of saying it, 
there seems to be a pattern that when things get tough, who do we give up on first? God, I think, yeah. You know, we don't go to God first, right? And why don't we? Why why don't we not do that first? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. And why, again, uh, to build on that, why are we so oriented to want to solve it in our own strength? And maybe the guys more than the ladies, I don't Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's it, isn't it? That's hitting it. You know, I think if you asked people that I've counseled over the last 20 years, what verse does he give you more than any? It's Proverbs 3, 5, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I insert my name in there. I don't know if y'all do that or not, but hey, Tim, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Tim, pay real close attention here. Do not lean on your own understanding, right? Because I need to hear that, right? And so, yeah, so that's a, a good point. So um, back to Psalm 38 then is, is David's talking to God. And some people question whether or not this was really written by David because they come to this weird conclusion. Well, he, if he was this sick, he had to have been ailing for a while. And we don't have any, well, there's some, a couple other Psalms that we'll look at in a second where we see that this was probably building on those. But um we, we know that there, there aren't other portions of Scripture that talk about him being this weak, ailing person. So that couldn't be from David. But that's, that's an absolutely inadequate argument, right? Because you may know of somebody that hadn't been sick in a long, long time. And, and then you, all of a sudden you hear and you say, well, that couldn't be them. They're, they're a bill of health. How could that happen, right? But but we we know because it tells us that David is the author and it's inspired by uh, him that wrote it. So therefore, we're going to stick with that, right? But um, the Bible does not owe us an account of every time David or anybody else got sick. I'm sure that serious illness was certainly more frequent during that time period, right, than what we have today with our modern medicine. You know, thank the Lord for modern medicine, right? Um I mean, I, for all practical purposes, I should have been dead a long time ago, but because of modern medicine, I know God numbers our days and all, so hang with me with this, you know, but, but he's, I, well, let me say it this way. I would probably be, um, laid up in the bed and not have able to function. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. If it were not for modern medicine, uh, Charlie Cloud and I were talking this morning and we're reading some Old Testament stuff together and. And uh, he said, you know what, I, we read Leviticus this week, and he said, you and I, man, we'd, we'd have never made it to adulthood. We'd have been stoned outside the city. I said, you're right. You know? But uh, anyway, um, last weekend, I, uh, I I walked in the woods. I would say I went on a hike, but it wasn't a hike. I went to one of the places where I hunt, and I was just walking in the woods, and there's a cemetery there, uh, an old-timey one. And I mean, it's unkept or anything, but it's neat. to It's very small, maybe twice as big as this room, the whole thing, but not not even twice as big. But uh, 
it's amazing how many young people, children, are buried there, right? Because in that era, modern medicine, you know, they, so, so we know that um, um, David could have certainly been sick many times in his life, and we don't have to have an account of that all the time throughout the, the scriptures. And I, um, I experienced, well, I won't say it. Um, I, can, I, I walked in the woods, and I've got proof of it. There's these little invisible bugs that get under your skin and chiggers, right? Y'all ever get chiggers? Yeah. You know, you're supposed to put sulfur on your socks and your boots. And if you go blackberry picking, you'll get chiggers. Um, so the only unusual thing about this description is that he he sees this. Now, hang with me here for this. He sees this as a punishment from God for his sin. All right. As far as the outline of the psalm goes, Charles Spurgeon suggests that in addition to the opening and closing prayers, there are prayers in verses 9 and 15 as well. So again, the psalm is actually one in which David alternately describes his condition. And here's the thing is that then he prays to God asking relief from it. There's seven of these alternating sections in Psalm uh Mine's going off too. Uh oh. Amber alert. Warner Robbins. We're in Woodstock. Another, uh, so the seven alternating sections in Psalm 38. Spurgeon says the, <laughs> the psalm opens with prayer in verse 1. Continues. Everybody's getting them, huh? <laughs> I was in a seminar at ACBC one time and, uh, George Scipione was the instructor, and this was kind of right when cell phones were first coming out, and somebody's phone rang, and it was a nice little ditty, and he just started dancing across the front till the person frantically was trying to get it and turn it off. <laughs> never missed me. He never said a word. He just started dancing, and then when it was done, he came back to his notes. But, um, but Spurgeon says that the psalm opens with prayer in verse 1, continues in a long complaint, verses 2 to 8. Here's the key. Pauses to dart an eye to heaven in verse 9. Proceeds with a second tale of sorrow in verses 10 to 14. Interjects another word of hopeful address to God in verse 15. And a third time pours out a flood of griefs in verses 16 to 20. And then closes as it opened with a renewed petitioning, verses 21 and 22. Now, I really like Spurgeon's outline because it emphasizes the way that David seems to take a step forward in his faith and increased his calmness of spirit with each glance towards the Lord. And that's what biblical counseling teaches, I think. At least that's what I try and get people to. That's what I've got to get myself to every day. Is the, So I'm, I'm walking through my day and I'm sinning and I confess my sin or maybe even I, I, I get more, uh, um, you know, I get down on myself, you know, for this, that, or the other, um, one of my major struggles in my life is contentment. And I seem to get, the older I get, the more discontent I seem to get. So I'm reading a great book right now on contentment. Um, I thought about maybe I'll do a lesson on that, but I hadn't gotten far enough in the book yet to to do that. But here's the cure to any of that, any of our problems of that nature. We voice those to God in prayer, as David is doing, and then we're talking to God. And when we're talking to God, what are we not focused on? 
ourselves, right? And so that's what I liked about this, focus off of self and on to God. You know, and, and again, um, I wasn't going to do this, but let's do it anyway. Philippians chapter 4. So, um, look at the last five words of 4-4. We always jump, or I always jump, I should say, to verse 6, but key is the last five words. The Lord is at hand, right? Now, I would parenthetically put there then, therefore... Do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is at hand. Some of your translations probably say the Lord is near. You know, uh, Philippians 4 in verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but with everything by what? There's our prayer and supplication, talking to God with what? Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And then look what happens. The peace of God. Isn't that what we're after? You know, so you, you can see the pattern there. And David is doing that same thing in Psalm 38. He's, 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 he's sick, physically ill, even, we'll see in a minute, to the point of almost dead. And he talks to God about it, and then he, he, he looks to God about it, and then he airs out his things again. Again, that's just a common, common biblical counseling principle to get our eyes off of us and onto our savior but one thing that strikes out at us immediately in the opening prayer is is that it's absolutely identical word for word of psalm 6 which is the first as i said a minute ago of the penitential psalms in fact the two psalms are very close in in resemblance psalm 6 is shorter only 10 verses and 38 that we're looking at has 22 verses. Psalm 38 describes the illness further, gives us more uh, detail about it. And it also tells us about the desertion of his friends and the scheming of his enemies. But each of these elements is, is present in both Psalms. In each 6 and 38, David's specific prayer is that God will not, look at that, rebuke him in anger or discipline him in wrath. Now, I don't think that, that David's trying to get out of being uh, disciplined. Um, he's not not going down that path, but what he wants is for God to not do it in anger and wrath, right? Um, we shouldn't be praying for God not to discipline. As a matter of fact, we should be inviting God to discipline us, right? That, isn't that what keeps us on track? I mean, think about your children, you know, particularly if you got young ones, you know, that the discipline keeps them on track. The discipline are like the guardrails, if you will, to keep us going down the straight and narrow that the Lord wants us to walk on. So the, the, what David's asking is for God to discipline him, but don't do it in anger. In <clears throat> Psalm 6 and verse 2 kind of gives us the direction at that point because Right after he his appeal to God not to rebuke him in 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 uh, anger or discipline him in wrath, he says, verse two of Psalm six, "Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing." And then later in Psalm six, verse nine, he says, "The Lord has heard my plea." David's not suggesting that he doesn't deserve the sickness, 
He's not faulting God for it for a second. <clears throat> he knows he deserves the anger, but what he's asking God for, and here's the key, I think, is mercy, right? He's asking for mercy instead, and that is always a proper way to appeal to God, right? It's always right. It's always okay to ask God for mercy. We can't demand it. We don't have any claim on it, but we can ask for it, and what so what is mercy? <clears throat> Not getting what we deserve. And if you face it that way, that's a big wow factor. All uppercase for me anyway, isn't it? Not getting what we deserve. How many times do you hear um, on TV or just in public, you know, of people feeling like they're ripped off because I... I, right? I, I. But yeah, you, you go to the mercy route, right? And God is a merciful God. Nobody who's ever cried out to God for mercy has ever gone away empty-handed. That's a pretty bold statement, right? But can you think of a time when you've cried out to God and, and God has turned a deaf ear to your honest plea? You know, I mean, even in the worst of situations, I, I, I just, that's not how he operates, Right? Right. So next we see in verses 2 to 8 that David describes his, his sickness. It's physical because he's suffering. Well, it's also mental because he's suffering for his sin. And we see that the words because of repeated three times in verses 3 and 5. And that leaves no doubt that in David's mind this was a judicial illness. Look at verses 3 to 5. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. So he's being punished for a serious transgression. Again, he doesn't say what that is. But we got to understand that not all sickness is... um, is punishment from God. So, you know, like if you get a, a bad cold or something, you know, that may or may not be from God. So how do we know, right? David knew. He obviously knew or he wouldn't be crying out to God in this manner, right? Um, I, I would say that most sickness is not because of our sin, but it's important to say that because physical suffering often depresses us mentally. And those depressions, in those depressions, we're inclined sometimes to make a, a connection between our past sins and our present sickness that doesn't maybe necessarily exist. And, of course, if we can remember our friend Job, right, who was a righteous man, yet he suffered. He, you know, he suffered not because of sickness. God described him as blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, Job 1.8. Job's suffering was a demonstration before Satan that a human being will love God for who God is and not for what I can get from God. That's a biggie for me. You know, um, Job proved God's point when he said in Job 1.21, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then another purpose for suffering we see explained in, in, in the New Testament in John chapter 9, right, where there's this guy that was blind from birth. And in verse 2, um, the disciples tried to make some kind of a link between sin and suffering. 
And they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus, of course, answered in verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but what? That the works of God might be displayed in him. Oh, right. In other words, God had chosen to glorify himself through this guy's suffering, right? And in this case, he was God was glorified because he healed this guy and, and corrected his eyesight. But neither of these is an explanation for what's going on in David's life, right? David was suffering for his sin. We know that because he very, very clearly shows us that. And as long as you and I are sinners, which we are, right, we have to recognize that that is a possibility. <clears throat> so when we undergo some great calamity or sickness, it would be good to ask, have I sinned? You know, examine my heart, Lord. Have I sinned? Have I gotten off track? Um, have, I, have I had a setback in my walk with you? that you're using this sickness to pull me back into you, your relationship with you. But we got to be careful to not get too, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me, introspective when we ask that kind of question. Otherwise, we tend to go too far the other direction and start digging up all this catalog of past failures, right? And, and we can exaggerate even our confessions to the Lord at that time because, let's face it, we pervert everything don't we i mean even the good things of our lord that he blesses us with we have a tendency to pervert those and we can do that in a case like this as well if god is using sickness to stop us short and bring us back to him then he's going to make it clear to us just like he did to david david confessed that my sin has done this to me right so i would say it like this if god is the one doing it in your life you're going to know it just as David did. Now, you know, we may not like hard times in our lives, but there is one absolutely beautifully positive thing that it produces. What is that? Resilience, yeah. And character, right? Character, resilience, steadfastness. If nothing else, God may be developing a sensitivity to us, in us, I should say, where uh, that we're drawn to people that are suffering as well, and, and then we can go and we can help them. So, you know, the hardest. Pardon. Absolutely. Yeah, great point, great point. I I love that, the the summer heat thing there. Thursdays is my grass-cutting day, and, you know, it's been hot lately, you know, and 
I don't get out there early in the morning. I'm not, I usually like to study and read in the morning. So, you know, it's hot. And, um, boy, I, I just love that. Because I, I know what I feel like when I come back inside, right? Oh, you know, if I would pay attention, I do feel that same way when that sin is pressing down on me like that as well. So those are really good. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's hard for us to accept and see... Um, God's purpose in our life when we may be suffering. But there's still an element of this sin in, in, in anything that we suffer because we're told to, this is incredible, we're told to glorify God in it. Wow, you know, think about that. I'm supposed to take this horrific thing to me and glorify God in it. Well, isn't that what life is all about? To bring glory and honor to God and not to ourselves? Um, you know, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, right? So David confesses his sin. Um, he, he, even though he does that, though, he's being judged, but he, he, he knows that what he's got to do is glorify God. And he's not, keep this point in mind as well, he's not faulting God for this, but instead he's praising God as the source of mercy and salvation, and, and as we said earlier, whenever David turns his eye from his suffering, he seems to move a step forward spiritually, as we will as well, and experience a calmer frame of mind. And we see this in his second prayer, which is in verse 9, where he writes, O oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. <clears throat> in the earlier verses, he's been describing his sickness, he he has no health in his body, verse 3, no health in his bones. Um, verse 5, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I had a little cut on my knee I got in the woods yesterday, and it's two little marks that looks like a snake bite, you know. And so I, I got out of the shower this morning, and I said to the kid, I said, that, that snake bite stings. And she said, the snake bite stinks. And I said, no, it stinks. But David says here, though, that, that my wounds stink and they fester. Why? Because of my foolishness. I mean, think about that. If you had a, a gaping, you know, abscessed wound that, I don't know if I've ever had a wound that stunk. You know, festered, yeah, but I mean, this thing is bad. You know, it's full of all kind of goo if it's stinking, Right. And, and he, he says it's because of my foolishness. You know, I've never, well, maybe I, if I was honest, I could maybe say that about some injuries I've had. You know, well, it's because of my foolishness. But, but um, he, look at verse 7. My sides are filled with burning. Verse 4, again, his sins are a burden that he can't carry. Verse 8, he, he, his spirit is crushed. He groans in anguish. But now he reminds himself that, you know what? God already knows all this. Verse 9, O oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden for, from you. So all his longing, all his sighings, all his suffering, he now recognizes and acknowledges that God sees it all. God knows it all. Um, and what should be a comfort to us and to David as well is that, that, that nothing comes into our lives that escapes God's watchful eye. God is concerned for, for us in everything that happens, right? So if nothing escapes his watchful eye and bad things do happen to good people, 
right, from our perspective, then how, how, how do you find peace and comfort in that? What do you think? All right, there it is, bingo. By knowing God's character, right? Again, look at verse 9. Oh, Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. Uh, That's a comforting reassurance because God's character, if you strip everything else away, there's one word that it is still, and that is what? Good. Good. Love. He cares, right? He cares, right? God does both of those, right? He cares about us. Others may not know about us or care about us, but God does. He, he, and he does that perfectly, right? And we see that, that when we have these anxieties and we go to that, it starts to lessen, right? Our trust starts to grow. You know that there's an interesting thing that in some psychiatric studies that show that if we're not suffering, we don't like to be around the people that are. You ever notice that? You know, stay away, right? We stay away. And and that's the same thing with people that, that we um, might not like the way they look or we might not like the way they smell or the way they hobble or the way they whatever, right? We, we tend to get all in our little goody-goody groups and stay away from people. But if, if even if people um, do, don't do that, right, at least they prefer the company of those just like themselves and just look around and you can see that uh, um, manifesting itself. You know, there's even, uh, well, that statement of, um, that's what happens when you get my age. There it was. Well, anyway, so this is what David experienced with this isolation. Look at verses 10 through 14. He says, my heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. So even his relatives, nearest kin, those who seek my life lay their snares, those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I'm like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. So the neglect of his friends and the taunts of his enemies basically left him speechless. He he couldn't defend himself. And really, who who of us could? Who of us can? But all he could do, which is what he did do, what we should do first, really, is leave our case with God, Right? the sense of isolation, the sense of alienation of those who are seriously ill, experience should encourage you and I to behave toward them in exactly the opposite way that our nature wants to, right? Instead of avoiding people who are suffering, we should go to them. We should try and help them and serve them and comfort them. So why do we not do that? And we do some, but, you know, there are times that we don't. Why? And it's uncomfortable. Why is it uncomfortable? Don't know what to say. Sure. And if you have been in that situation, and people have come to you, and they don't know what to say, what is your response usually? 
Pardon? You don't have to say anything. The fact that you're there, right, is huge, right? Um, so look at real quick. Um, uh, this is this is one of the marks that distinguish, and this is going to be tough to hear. At least it was for me. Between the sheep and the goats, right? This is a mark. What we're talking about here is a mark to distinguish between the sheep and the goats. Look at Matthew twenty-five. And let's start reading in verse 31. Read a few verses. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he he will place the sheep on his right, But the goats on his left, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you have welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Wow, there it is, right? So I would paraphrase that to we got to get out of our comfort zones, right? And, and, And get with people who are suffering and if we don't have any words to say just be with them right so even if um king david um all of his friends had had abandoned him and his sickness has really got his body wasting away um if 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 he was like that and he had friends around him then you and i certainly know people that are in that condition as well right and we need to make it a point to go and visit those people. And I would slide in there these two words, or three, four, on a regular basis, right? Daily or weekly, right? And and the Bible tells us, God tells us, that if we do that, we'll have a reward here and in heaven. Well, that brings us to his third prayer. Uh, third time David looks up from his state of physical and emotional suffering. He tells the Lord that he will wait patiently for the answer to his prayer for deliverance. Look at verse 15, back Psalm 38:15. He says, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. So usually it is impossible to say why one psalm uh, follows after another in the book of Psalms, right? But I think in verse 15, it gives us the reason why Psalm 38 follows Psalm 37. Because the whole message of Psalm 37 is to trust God for deliverance, even though the wicked seem to be prospering at a time. And, you know, we see that in our world today, don't we? To trust God. But then in verse 34, he gives the advice, though, to wait for the Lord. And in Psalm 38, this this waiting is practiced. And the very person who gave that, by that same person that gave the advice in 37 
He's now practicing his own advice. But waiting, I don't know about you guys, but waiting is extremely difficult for me. And I think it is for most of us, as we were talking about earlier. We live in a very, very impatient age, do we not? You know, I like to watch all Westerns. And, you know, if you miss the stagecoach 150 years ago, well, you just wait till next month when it comes and goes there again. You know, no big deal. And we, what, the light turns green and that guy in front didn't leave in a millisecond? Or I've tried to not honk. (laughs) Instead, now it's put your phone down, the light is green. But um, um, the other day, I got it, you know, somebody honked at me. And what happens when you, when that, what what happens in you? Right? Yeah, yeah, you try. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for helping me put my phone down. But um, my dad, uh, back in the day, you know, you used to be able to open a car hood without getting inside the car, right? You just walked up to the front. There was a time when I was a kid, somebody laid on the horn to my dad. From He got out of the car, opened their hood, and disconnected their battery. <laughs> Left the hood up. He said, honk at me again. Right. Isn't that something? But we get impatient because we miss our turn at the green light, right? Oh, my gosh, you know, I couldn't... Um, you know, I, traffic is one of my things. Um, I, I do better if my wife's riding with me. You know, she draws me back in. You know, with things like um, things like uh, you know, don't you think that before God ever even created the earth, He saw you. He knew that light was going to turn. He knew that school bus was going to be in front of you and stop every 300 feet like the kids can't walk 300 feet nowadays, you know. But anyway, I don't know if you all treat your husbands that way. But um, we can learn from David, you know, what it means to wait on God. Um, for David, He was a master and he was a model of waiting, was he not? I mean, an absolute model. Think about when, when Samuel first approached him in, when he was a kid and told him that he's going to be king. Well, what would you do if you were told that? I know what I would do. All right, let's get it on. You know, where's my robe? Where's my staff? Where's my signet ring? I want to stamp some stuff. But, you, you know, this But it didn't happen for several decades, not years, decades, right? And during those years, David was hunted down like a wild animal, right, by, by King Saul, his enemy. And even after Saul died fighting the Philistines, he still had to wait seven more years in Hebron before being asked to rule over the whole nation. And later, his own son, right? But he was content to wait on God to rescue him. He was content to wait for God to vindicate him. And Derek Kidner, great commentator on Psalms and Proverbs, says, quote, his fugitive years, his Hebron period, and his attitude to, to Absalom's revolt all proved the sincerity of his prayer in verse 15 and of his advice in Psalm 37. So David wasn't inactive is what what I was trying to get at with this. He was praying, right? And the very fact that he was praying meant that he was leaving the outcome of his sickness with God. So do you struggle with that? Do you struggle with voicing your prayers and then leaving the outcome to God? 
Why is that hard? We kind of already talked about it, right? Because I want to do it, right? I, I, I have to be able to fix this. But no, it's really, it's easier to wait on God, isn't it? If we really understand God's character, that he's good and that he loves us and that he controls all things, if you really believe that, then this is all working out and we're all marching forward in the exact direction that the Lord has planned for us, which is, of course, we know at the end of the day is better than um, what we may have planned. If you doubt that for a second, think back pre 10 years before you came a Christian, you know, how was it going for you? You know, I know what mine was like, but you know, not good. So we, God gives us a track record for us to be able to reflect back on, to see what life without him was really like. So then the last section of this uh, trial, we see in verses 16 through 20, right before the final prayer, David, he now he starts talking about his concern for his ill treatment, his unjust treatment by his enemies. Um, look at verse 16. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I'm ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I'm, I'm sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. So in this respect, what we see is the psalm moving from the wretched physical condition of his sickness, uh, his abandonment by his friends, the ill treatment by his enemies. But that's only part, I think, of what we find in this last last section. Um, I think he brings this out again because he's kind of said these things throughout. But I think he brings them out again as somewhat of a, this is kind of a weird word I've got inserted in here, but somewhat as an argument why God should hear his prayer. That sounds a little weird, but um, but let's walk through and see. Because I think twice, I think we can say that because twice the reasons are actually introduced by the word for, which means for this reason. So I think if we look at it that way, we can see five arguments, one in each of these verses, of why the reason why God should hear his prayer. And the first one is in verse 16. It's not right that his enemies should be allowed to rejoice over his misfortune or boast when his foot slips. Um, you know, they, they may be his enemies, but just because somebody's your enemy doesn't mean that it's right for them to treat you this way, right? Uh, they, they should sympathize with him and, and rather than rejoice over his illness or his missteps in his life. And I think the second reason that he should uh, argument for God to hear his prayer is in ver, uh, verse 17. He's in a desperate condition. You know, he, he's slipping. He's about to fall in verse 17. And um, verse 6, I mean, Psalm 6 being a parallel suggests that fall means to die. So if he falls completely, he's going to be dead. And, and you know, that's... an means that he's in great danger of death. Therefore, this is an extreme prayer. God's got to help him now or never. Later is going to be too late. And the third reason is uh, in verse 18 that he's confessed his sin, right? And the purpose of discipline 
is to bring honest confession followed by what? We, we don't just confess and what happens next? Pardon? Repent, which means to turn away, right? So we're walk, we confess and then we turn, which is a, a change of life, right? We don't keep going back to it, um, even though we do, but we don't, right? You ever struggle with that? You ever thought of, um, did you struggle with sin before you were a Christian? You know, I didn't. You know, I did what I wanted to do when, where, and how I wanted to do it and didn't care about anything. But now there's this thing that gets a hold of me and I and then I got this fight going on, right? Is it just me or, I mean, is that how it is, you know? We're sinful, we just don't struggle with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But now that we desire holiness and righteousness, yeah. Yeah, it's a constant battle. Does anybody canoe, or I guess canoeing's kind of out now, it's kayak. Anybody kayak? <laughs> you know, um, going down the river is no problem at all, is it? You know, I know when I had my canoe, all you had to do going down was have the paddle back here to steer. You didn't have to paddle. You, the current took you. But um, turn that thing around and go upstream in a strong river, and it's hard. That's the Christian life, right? So... Um, change of life fourth argument is his enemies are numerous and well he's just one person verse 19 tells us and so again here's a great question what hope does one person have against many especially if the enemies um, are constantly after you right if God abandons him he knows his enemies are going to overwhelm him and he so he recognizes that his only hope is God being by his side and then the fifth reason that God should hear his prayer is that he's been good to his enemies. Even though they're, they're doing evil to him, right, he has been good to them. So that may seem strange that how, how, how can we say that David was good? Well, he tells us that, but it's not strange because that's a description of God, as Chris said, one of his characteristics, which then should manifest out of our lives, right? as we do good to other people rather than evil towards them. But because we sin, um, you know, people might look at us as being mean and ugly and evil, And um, but that doesn't mean that we uh, necessarily are because we confess. So that, that brings up another really good point. So if you're, you know, you're a believer you're 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 manifesting the goodness of God as you walk through your daily life and and yeah now you mess up you sinned against some you know God of course but against another brother or even let's say a non-christian not a brother just a person right and what are they always doing now you go and you ask for forgiveness and what happens a lot of times you're just like the rest of us you Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, you know, you come to me trying to ask for forgiveness and repent. You're just like us. You're no better than me, right? Do you hear that? You know, um, so what do we do there, you know? Um, a couple, well, a while back, I was doing evangelism downtown with Jeff Horn, and I offered this these four couples, or two couples, four people, they were my age, um, a track. And, one, and the guy said, no, thanks, buddy, you need that more than I do. 
And I said, you know what? You are exactly right, sir. I do need this. You know, and I try and walk this out every day of my life. You know, they just blew right on by. But, you know, that's a good reminder, isn't it? That we are no better than anybody else. It's only by God's grace that we're even able to have a conversation like we're having this morning. And, and we, we can't get frustrated over non-believers treating us wickedly that, that we then allow that to throw us into a sinful rage against the world, right? But So David ends with, a, with another prayer, his last prayer, um, and, and he makes his final prayer in verses 21 and 22. Now look at the way he ends this. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me. Oh, Lord, my salvation. So his final prayer is that God not abandon him or be far from him in his sickness and his friends and, and, and abandon him as his friends and companions have, but instead that God will come to him quickly. Will God do that? Of course he will, right? That's the theme of the entire Bible, right? I, I love one of my favorite verses, Matthew one twenty one talking about Jesus you are to give him the name Jesus why because he will save his people from their sins nobody else brings salvation you and I have that gift and we're to be giving it to others and we're just to be obedient and do that right to give it out and then leave that to God no matter how they treat us doesn't mean that we quit giving it out right I mean you've probably heard that uh the statement that, um, uh, you know, that you're the only Bible that some people will ever read, you know, that how, you know, you know what it's like to maybe you before Christ were um, treated wrongly by a believer and you called them a hypocrite and all that, you know. So that's part of walking the Christian life. Have you ever been convicted of sin against a person and gone and confessed it to them, and they didn't seem to give a flip. Did that ever happen to you? I've done that three times in my life, and not one of the three cared. You know, and that bugged me a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I just humbled myself, you fool. You know, no. Um, but, you know, it shouldn't, because we were, I was being obedient to God, right? It was hard to do, but we shouldn't be looking for anything to come back to us from it. It's all about us walking obediently to the Lord. And uh, so that was Psalm 38, a penitential psalm.